We are, we, are, we are just finishing up a section in the Gospel of Luke that I have uh, uh, called Things Disciples Need to Know. So if you're a disciple, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, it's good that you're here because these are the things you need to know. It started in chapter 10. There's a, there's a unique section of Luke as compared to all the other Gospels. Luke has something different that he spends, well, from chapter 10 all the way into chapter 19, focusing on this one journey, the last trip that Jesus makes traveling from Galilee down south toward Jerusalem. He goes down to the south. He's to the east side of Samaria. He goes all the way south, kind of close to the Jordan River, and he takes a, let's see, takes a right turn at Jericho, goes over the mountain pass, and there he's going to be in Jerusalem. So this, during this last journey, he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to die there. He's going to die for us. He knows what's ahead. And so on this last trip, He's, he's pouring himself into his disciples. There's things that disciples need to know. And we begin, I'm going to rehearse it one more time, in chapters 10 and 11, it was that the Father joyfully sends us into his mission and faithfully provides for us. In chapters 12 and 13, it was don't be intimidated, bullied, distracted, discouraged away from this mission God has given us. I'm referring, by the way, to those sermon notes that Pastor Evan pointed out to you earlier. I have those on the top, and some of you got those out early, and you said, oh my, Pastor Bob has like seven, eight, or a dozen points here this morning. How are we ever going to get to lunch? Well, I don't know, really. But in, in, in chapters 14 and 15... Back to my review, in humility we receive and extend God's gracious invitation. And that, that gracious invitation, both, re- both, both received and extended, is, is beautifully told in the, in the, in the, uh, in the parable or the, of the uh, story episode of the two sons. One lost in a far country, the other one lost right there near home. Uh, then in chapter 16, last week, uh, he, he urges his disciples, reminds his disciples to, to use temporary resources, which will not last, to use temporary resources to make an eternal difference. Difference. The things that we have in our hands, use those for an enduring, continuing, eternal future. And then we get to verse 17 and, or chapter 17 and 18, and I've put these two chapters together. One of the reasons I'm doing that, if you got your newsletter, you know why I'm doing that. If you didn't get your newsletter... That's what the communication card is for. You can give us an address on there. You can say, I want the newsletter. Why are you leaving me out? And we won't leave you out anymore. We'll send it to you as well. So, um, but if you saw the newsletter, you saw that on Easter, we're going to be on the road to Emmaus. What if Easter happened? We're going to be on the road to Emmaus, which is Luke 24. So we've got to get to Luke 24 between now and then. So we're on a schedule or a schedule, and Luke 17 and 18 has a series of episodes. These are episodes that all echo this uh, idea that that's impossible. That's impossible. And the one image you know that's in the midst of of these episodes is the story about uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And we come up with these fanciful tales about a, a, a gate that was called the eye of the needle, and the camel had to be completely unloaded in order to get through. And that's a nice story, but it's a bunch of nonsense. There's no such gate. Jesus is saying it's impossible. But what's impossible with men, what's impossible with humanity, is impossible with God. That's true about our salvation. What's impossible for us is possible with God. 
is true about how we live and follow Christ, as is described here in these two chapters. What's impossible with us is possible with our God and our Savior. So these marks of a true disciple, as I've listed them for you in your bulletin, I'm going to describe them just slightly different terms. So you might want to have a pen ready today. There might be something worth writing down. So have have a pen ready, if you will, and we're going to jump into these episodes. I call them episodes, not stories. Uh, One of the men reminded me in our Monday morning study where we look ahead at the next week's passage. He said, you know, I don't like talking about the, the stories in the Bible because that sounds like they're not true. It sounds like they're not real. It didn't really happen. And so we'll call them episodes instead of stories. In Luke chapter 17, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to scan them all first just to remind you of what's here. You, you have a Bible, I hope. Uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew, I hope. And uh, we're going to start on page 876, which is Luke chapter 17. If, you don't, if you're not sure where the Bible at home even is, feel free to take that one with you. Um, Luke chapter 17, page 876. Here's, the, here's a series of episodes. There's one of temptations are going to come, but we need to forgive. How often can we forgive? Seven times seven, Jesus says here. He'll say even more another time. He's reminded in the next section that we're merely servants. There's a tale about the servants serving in the fields and serving in the house. Then the next episode, there are ten lepers healed. It's impossible for lepers to be healed, but there are ten lepers healed. Then uh, some Pharisees mockingly ask him, when is the kingdom coming? What are the signs of your kingdom coming if it's really going to come? And then after that, he, he pulls his disciples aside and he, and he, remind, he, he gives them a, 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 um, a parable of, a, of an evil judge and a, and a widow who pleads with him to remind them to continue to pray and to not lose hope. And then there's the uh, story of the, of the uh, another story about prayer, the Pharisee and the tax collector. There's, uh, then, the, then the children are coming to him, and that's really just a, a prologue into the whole rich man comes, and he thinks he's, how, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he thinks, he thinks he's done everything he needed to, and so there's that. And then finally, we meet a blind man just outside Jericho who, who announces concerning Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So though all of that's packed into this two chapter, and you think, how, why, am I, why am I pushing all of this together? Uh, we're going to grab something out of each one, and uh, then with the notes that I've given you and what you've heard, you'll be able to read it through again on your own, and you'll get even more. So let's roll up our sleeves. Let's jump in Luke chapter 17. He said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone hung around his neck if he, and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to, to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to one another. It's a, it's a yourselves more broadly. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. And that's why the disciples say, oh, Lord, increase our We can't do that. That's impossible. That's why they say, Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith because this is beyond us. This repeated forgiveness is beyond us. Jesus tells his disciple, the first thing he gives them, the marks of a disciple, things disciples need to know, tirelessly forgive. Tirelessly forgive. We easily grow weary of forgiving, don't we? Okay, one t- fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? You know, we'll, we'll give somebody a, quote, second chance. I'm sorry, God is not the God of the second chance. God is the God of forgiveness. Somebody failed you. 
they may, they, they may do it again. The issue is not, did they fail me before? The issue is, have they come in sincere repentance? Then you forgive. Have you been forgiven more than once? Have you, have you and I needed to ask God's forgiveness for the same thing again and then again and then again? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. And so he says, live in that. And as we live in that toward others, we, we, we get it more for ourselves. Not in the sense that we'll earn God's forgiveness. No, but we understand something about the depth of God's forgiveness for us when we step into and extend that same forgiveness out to other people. We've been forgiven for the same thing. In addition, that faith that forgives is more focused on restoration than it is on the sin. If repentance is sincere, that's more important than what the issue was. Now, now there might be consequences. There are sometimes consequences to sin. Sometimes there's a need of restitution. Sometimes with certain kinds of sin, there's, there's going to be criminal penalties involved. But, but forgiveness focuses on the, on the spiritual restoration. It doesn't deny the consequences. It doesn't deny that trust might have to be reestablished. But forgiveness will be granted. We will not hold this against you again. We will not continue to hold this against you. Uh, forgiveness looks for a spiritual sincerity and then works for restoration. Tirelessly forgive. A second thing disciples need to know, like unworthy servants, we faithfully serve. We do not serve. This is the one where, which you had of a servant, you know, they're working out in the field, then you come into the house and you sit right out the table with the master. No, you don't do that. If you had a servant, you would expect your servant after he comes in from outside to, to do the things in the house and to get dinner on the table and to serve you if he's your servant for your, for your dinner. And after that, then they'll sit down and eat. When the work's done, then they'll do it because they're servants. That's what servants do. He said, see, uh, see yourselves as merely servants. We tirelessly forgive and we faithfully serve. Instead of asking, what do I get out of church? We ask, how is it that I could serve Jesus in his church? How could I love Jesus by loving and serving those whom Jesus loved? We, we, we faithfully serve. There's an essence of humility there that asks, who am I? Now, humility, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Humility is thinking of ourselves less. Philippians 2 tells us to 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 consider others more important than yourselves. Not to step on yourself, but to, but to lift others up. Uh, humility, this faithfully serving, is not thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of myself less and thinking of my Savior more. Faithfully serve. Have you ever been overtaken by how wonderful somebody was? Well, yeah, you married her, right? Come on, guys. You were overtaken with how wonderful somebody was. And, and, and you didn't show that love for them by all the things that she could do for you, right? That's not how you show your love for her, by allowing her to, to, to do all these wonderful things for you. You look for the ways you can serve her. You look for the ways you can encourage her. You look for the ways that, that you can enable and support and help her to be all that God. Isn't that what you do? Come on, guys, right? Yeah, yeah? You're in there. I'm not, this, uh, Bob, this isn't Mother's Day. What are you doing? <sighs> just, just trying to get in good with the, with the ladies in the church. That's all. We faithfully serve our Lord because we love him who first loved us. We tirelessly forgive. We faithfully serve. Now, service like that, uh, 
it'll wear us out, it seems. But not if it's, it flows out of grateful worship. The next episode in this, in this quick journey on to Jericho, the next episode is the ten lepers who are healed. Ten le- lepers don't get healed. There's a, there, there's a sacrifice in the Old Testament, but it was never used. I mean, this is the part of the book that the priests never turned to because lepers don't get healed. And there's ten of them. And Jesus heals them. And he says, now go and show yourselves to the priest to validate your healing. And so they head off to go to the priest. And one of them looks down. He looks at his hand. I don't know. What to, but he says, I've been healed. And right there in the midst of his obedience, he's supposed to, he'd been told by Jesus to go on to the priest and show yourself. He stops and he turns and he falls at Jesus' feet and he worships him. Man, he wasn't listening. Didn't Jesus say But what a wonderful thing it is. In the midst of our obedience, to interrupt our obedience with sporadic worship. To interrupt, not sporadic, I wasn't right word, spontaneous. To interrupt our worship with spontaneous worship. We don't merely worship. We don't merely show up. We don't just turn out and and it's on time, but we, we gratefully worship. Worship is grateful what our Savior has done. And Jesus marvels. He said, weren't ten healed? And only one returned. Be one out of ten. Gratefully worship. In the midst of your obedience, in the midst of carrying on with with the life that God has given you to live, don't neglect spontaneous grateful worship. Interrupt our plans. Interrupt our obedience just to stop. Just to stop and tell Jesus thank you. You know, one of the things, we, we, were, we were together as elders for the, in the church yesterday, and one of the things that we, we, we realized that we, we want to do more in smaller connection groups as part of that card, that survey, uh, how can we get into from the auditorium into some sort of smaller connection group where you're known by others and they know you. You can weep with those who weep. You can rejoice with those who rejoice. And as you share something about what God is doing and, and we rejoice in what God has done, then, then out of those smaller groups, that can filter up and we can share some of that with the whole church because we need to do that. We need to do that. We need to, to gratefully worship God for what he has done for us and continues to do for us. We tirelessly forgive. We faithfully serve. We gratefully worship. We patiently endure. Patiently endure. The Pharisees, now we're at verse 20. He's asked by the Pharisees, when is the kingdom of God coming? And they're asking li- this mockingly. They're asking this, yeah, right, you're the Messiah. Okay, well, when's the kingdom coming? He says, it's not going to come here, it's there. It's, he said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I'm the king, the king is right here. And yet he says, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be tribulation, there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be all kinds of difficulties happen. I'm not going to read the whole section there. But those who believe, those who are followers of Christ will faithfully endure trouble in this age along the way as it comes. We are waiting for the kingdom, but there will be times of trouble before it comes. Faith endures trouble, trusting God that God will keep us through it. They thought it was impossible that Jesus was the king and that his kingdom was coming. Where is, it's kind of like those that Peter tells us about. He, said, he warns us, he said, there will be some who will mock your faith. They will tell you, look, the wor- look at the world, look how things are. Where is the promise of his coming? If, if, if God is real, why do bad things happen then? To put it simply, well, let me, let me go back. I mentioned I was at a, at a county counselor's meeting just uh, 
just the other week, and, and uh, I heard this lady, she, she stood up and she said, we should not put in God we trust there in the, in the county hearing room because, he said, I don't believe in God, I'm an atheist. And she went on to say, because of the trouble in the world, and because she even, there were even in, in the history of the world, sometimes Catholics were fighting against Protestants and this and that, and, and so, so that's how I know that there can't be a God in the world because, because God is not like that, at least as far as I know him. I'm scratching my head and I'm saying, wait a minute, that, the God that doesn't exist, that can't be the, like the God you know. I, I, I have a little difficulty with that, but, but that, there's trouble in the world. And so where is God and where is his kingdom? To put it simply, God is good, but humanity is not. God and humanity are on a collision course. And yet, because God is merciful, God is waiting, delaying that coming collision, setting Jesus out front and saying, won't you believe in my son? Won't you accept my mercy in Jesus <laughs> while there's still time? Because accountability is coming. Accountability to him is coming. And so God waits, God delays, God is, God is patient. He holds out mercy because for God, for the kingdom to come, for God to make an end of sin, he must remove sinners. For God to make an end of hurt, he must remove those who hurt. For God to make an end of evil, he must remove the evildoers. And guess what? That's us. And so he says instead, I, wa I want to forgive you. I want to transform you. Won't you receive my mercy so that you will not face my judgment? And God waits, but he will not wait forever. There will be trouble until he comes. And he will come, and he, he turns to his disciples, and he reminds them to keep praying for the coming kingdom. The Lord's righteousness will come. He gives this example of a, of a dishonest judge. In chapter 18, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. But there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. She keeps calling. She keeps writing letters. She sends emails. I never hear enough. Finally, because she keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. He says, will not God give justice? If an unrighteous judge will finally give in and give would not God who's not like that? God is a just and righteous judge. He is, he is, he is sensitive. He has an ear for the widow and the orphan's cry. He turns and inclines toward them. He does hear them. He so loved us that he sent his son. Will he not bring justice upon the earth? Yes, he will. So continue to expectantly pray and don't give up. Expectantly pray that his kingdom will come. I don't know what disappointments you've had. I don't know what troubles you are presently enduring. But Jesus says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay and long over them? He is coming soon. I tell you, he will give justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The Son of Man will come. Between now and then, we will faithfully serve him by expectantly praying and by humbly, humbly confessing. Speaking of prayer, he gives them, he gives them another example of prayer. Another episode, the episode of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Two men went up to pray. I'm at verse 10 of chapter 18. 
They went up to the temple to pray, one of them a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Is he praying or is he applying for a job? I'm not sure. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other who did not. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says, when we pray, humbly confess. Oh, God, God, protect us from praying like that Pharisee. Protect us from something that might be hidden in our mind that we wouldn't even dare say, but we think it. God, I'm so glad I'm not like those people. Yeah, have you ever said that, 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 that nice little phrase, there by the grace of God go I? That sounds kind of nice that we're, we're resting in God's grace and yet we're rejoicing in the fact that we're not like somebody we deem more evil than we. You know, the, the, thing, about, the thing about righteousness and sin, sin is kind of like cancer. And you know, there are far more people that get skin cancer year by year. Far more people get skin cancer. Even the deadly melanoma skin cancer. Far more people get skin cancer than lung cancer. But far more people die of lung cancer than they do skin cancer. Why is that? Because skin cancer is on the outside. It's evident. It can be seen. And because it's seen and known and it's exposed and it can be treated, it can be excised, it can be dealt with. But lung cancer is hidden. Lung cancer is deep within. And, and at the first, while it does its deadly work, it's, it's pretty much asymptomatic. There are no symptoms. And so the, the, the cancer deep in the lungs grows and, and silently steals away life until it's too late to do anything about it. So the majority of people that are diagnosed with lung cancer die from it. It's called the silent killer. Sin is like that. Some, sins, some people's sins are evident and obvious. Some people's sins are hidden and only follow after them. You only even realize it or point it. It's only seen or evident later. But it's there. We don't all sin alike, but we're all alike sinners. God, protect us from a mindset that says, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not evil like that person. I'm not bad like that person. I thank you that I'm a righteous person like me. You know, I don't want to compare myself to you folks because you all look so good and nice and you got life all together, but I'm going to pick somebody else that's not quite so together and I'm going to compare myself to them and then I'll feel good about myself because I compare myself to somebody who doesn't seem to have it together like I do and then I make myself the standard, you see? I'm not the standard. God, protect us from that pride. That, that pride. Rather, humbly confess. Faith confesses rather, rather than compares. Lord, keep us from thinking about ourselves in, as good as in comparison to others. And instead, fix our eyes on Jesus who is good for us, who is good in our place, who is good when it was impossible for us to be good. Then he goes to the... Uh, to, to the episode about the rich man. The rich man, and that rich man, as I mentioned, the, the prologue, the introduction to that is the childlike faith of the children as compared to the nuanced and fine-tuned and negotiated faith of the rich man. 
he comes to Jesus. What should I, what do I need to do to, in, to enter the kingdom of God? I want to make sure that I've got all the squares checked. And Jesus says, well, you know what the law says, right? Oh, I've done all of those things. I have kept the whole law, A to Z, beginning to end, 1 to 10. So Jesus says, oh, you have. Okay, well, then, then all you need to do is this. One thing you lack, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you come follow me. Sell all my stuff? You mean all my money? You mean all my riches and my house and my stuff and the nice little statues that I have? You see, he said, I've kept all the law. But Jesus knew that he'd missed the first one, which says, have no other idol or God before God. And he'd missed the last one, number 10, which says, thou shalt not covet. So beginning to end, he had missed it instead. He couldn't do See, the law could never cure us. The law could never fix us. The law was never given as a standard we could tick off and measure up to. The law simply shines a light on our sin and our need for a Savior. This man needed the simple trust and of a child. And so Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man because he's got his idol. He can't let go of it. He can't do it himself. It's easier to go through the eye, uh, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Do you like our little camels going through the eye of a needle? That's a God thing. Camels really aren't that small and needles really aren't that big, okay? What's impossible with men is possible with God and with PowerPoint. It's impossible. Camels can't do that, but it's possible with God. And then where does Jesus go from there? Where does Jesus go from there in chapter 18? After he says what is impossible with men is impossible, is possible with God, he says, look, in verse 31, we're going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered of the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and flogged, and they will kill him, and on the third day he rises from the dead. How is it possible for the rich man and for you? How is it possible for the rich man and for me to enter the, enter the kingdom of heaven is because Jesus would die. Because with us, it's impossible. But with him dying in our place, there it is possible. There we can freely enter in. And so there, simply trusting, we come to the last episode, which is just outside of Jericho. They are close to Jerusalem now. It's just the right turn through the mountain pass, and there they're into Jerusalem. But outside of Jericho, there's this blind man, and he hears the fuss. He hears the commotion of the crowds coming. And he says, what's going on? There's somebody next to him, and they say, oh, Jesus, that teacher, he's, he's coming with his disciples. And this guy starts to shout out, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't say, Jesus, have mercy on me. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. They're saying, shh, shh, don't say that. Well, why not? Don't we have freedom of speech? Well, maybe they didn't, but, but don't say that because you're a blind man. You have to beg. You don't want the Pharisees singling you out and telling people don't give to that guy because he said the wrong things. He follows that Jesus, so don't give to him. So they're trying to be, quiet him down for his own good. So he doesn't know enough to be quiet for his own good. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. He shouts it out. He cries it out. He is saying, he doesn't say, Jesus, have mercy on me. He says, son of David, who he really is. Son of David, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. He sees Jesus as he really is, and he proclaims it by faith. And because he sees Jesus as he really is, he sees himself in the need that he really has. Have mercy on me. I don't deserve to be healed. 
I haven't earned my sight. Would you have mercy on me in the midst of my need? And Jesus meets him there. That's the essence of saving faith right there, seeing God as he really is, seeing our Savior Jesus as he really is, and seeing ourselves in our need, and rather saying, God, I've been pretty good. Can we work a deal? Can we negotiate? Can we build a checklist? Son of David, have mercy on me. These episodes tell us over and over again, how is it that anyone can enter the kingdom? Who can enter God's kingdom? Let's go back to the beginning and start through again, shall we? He's saying, no, we can't do that. Real quick. It's not those who are perfect who haven't fallen into temptation, but it's those who are forgiven who enter in. It's not those who earn a reward from working hard enough. It's rather it's for lepers and for outcasts, to those who are unworthy. It's those with just a little faith, a simple childlike faith. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to believe. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He died for me. He rose again because of him. I'll enter in. It might not be those who think they will, like the rich man, but it's anyone who comes through Christ's death for us. Anyone who cries out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What is impossible with men is possible with God because Jesus went there first. Tirelessly forgive those who hurt you, even like Jesus said, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they do. Faithfully serve, even like our Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Gratefully worship, even as Jesus, who said, in the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto you. I have come to do your will, O God. Patiently endure trouble, even as Jesus, who said, Father, if it may May this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Expectantly praying, even as Jesus did, just before his death, as he breathed his last, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stubbornly believing, even Jesus. Do you like, do you, do you ever think about Jesus as stubbornly persisting in his faith in God? Hebrews chapter 12 says that for the joy set before him, he believed God's promise. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus knows what it is to continue in stubborn faith to God's promise. He looked into the future. Faith is not blind faith. Don't let anybody tell you that. Don't let anybody tell you that faith is blind. Jesus saw it as it actually was and trusted God to lay himself down. Like, an, like the blind man, I can see it now. I can see the love in his cross, laying himself down, raising us to eternal life. When we come to this table that's before us, we are confessing something about Jesus we're confessing something about ourselves. We're joining that blind man on the road just outside Jericho. We're confessing something about Jesus. We're confessing something about ourselves. We are confessing Jesus, Son of David, Savior, Son of God, have mercy on me. Something about him, something about us, that we are desperately in need of God's mercy. In our death because of sin, in my guilt, that his body was given because of my sin. 
that his blood was given in his death for forgiveness of our sins. If, as those who are serving come forward, as I ask uh, Pastor Ryan, our youth pastor, to join me here at the table, if, if that's what you believe, if the cry of your heart also is, Son of David, have mercy on me, then we invite you to join us at this table. We'll, we'll sing a song as we, as we pass the bread. We'll partake of it together. We'll, we'll sing together as we pass the cup. We'll partake of that then together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we give thanks. Lord, we do gratefully worship at this table. We gratefully come. We have heard and received your invitation to believe on Jesus, the one who died in our place. Lord, on that basis, those who take this bread will take it, knowing that it represents, it remembers Jesus' body given for us, his death in our place. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.